not the shoes I wear I'm not the clothes I buy I'm not the house I live in I'm not the car I drive I'm not the job I work You, you can't define my word But nothing on God's green earth My identity is found in Christ It's found in Christ We are in the third week of our identity series and, and taking that song by Lecrae or that rap by Lecrae. And, and uh, we are not the shoes we wear. Uh, we are not the car that we drive. We're not the, the job that we have. But our identity is found in Christ. And last week we take, took a look at a prayer of Paul for the, for the church in Ephesians that, that uh, our, our identity is in Christ, but because it is in Christ and because God gives us the identity that we, uh, there's nothing we can do for our identity. And so that leaves us a bit desperate. And so the only thing that we can really do is pray, then ask God, can you put this inside of me? And so what, what Paul prayed for the Ephesians was, was this, that they would know him relationally. And that it wouldn't be about praying a prayer. Wouldn't it be about just, uh, you know, knowing God theologically and some truths about God. But that, that, that the Ephesians would know God relationally. That it would be a relationship. And then that, that, the, that the Ephesians would also know, would also know the hope the certainty of a better future that came from their calling, came from the calling as saints. And that we have a calling as, as saints, and that is our identity. And that we would, we would know the hope of that. But also Paul prayed that we would know the power of God, the immeasurable greatness of the power of God. And it, it was that that Paul decided, that Paul chose to, to actually um, expound on and talk about God's power. And that the power that is available to us is the same power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead and ascend Him into heaven. That the power that is available to us is the same power that God uses to keep Christ as the, the, the supreme over all of the earth. The same power that is available to you and to me is the same power that God uses to keep Christ the head of the church. But if you're like me, if you're like me, you hear that God's power is available to us and look around in our lives and go, it is? It is? And if it was available to us, shouldn't we see more happening? When we read the Bible, when we read the stories of the Bible and the Old Testament stories and the New Testament stories and read about Jesus' life and read about the early church and see how God's power is at work and go, man, is this power really there? What is it supposed to look like? And Ephesians 2 is the continuation of the thought of Paul of not just saying that this is the power that, that, that God has and this is how it looks in Jesus' life, but, but this is the power of God as it looks inside of our life. 
There's a guy uh, that, I, that I, I've, I've followed. He's planted a church in, in Vegas on the Strip. But he wrote a book that said, I became a Christian and all I got was this lousy t-shirt. Kind of a long title for a book. But, but really, the premise of the book that he wrote was behind, is all behind this. Like, I became a Christian. And they talk about all this power. And they talk about me getting to heaven someday. And we, I'll read the New Testament. And I'll read the Bible. And, 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 and all this happened. But all I got was this lousy t-shirt. You know, maybe you've gone, or maybe somebody in your life has gone on a vacation. And they got to experience the vacation, but all they brought back for you was a lousy t-shirt. And you're like, thank you so much. It's just a t-shirt, but you actually got to see it. But Christianity was never intended to be a show up on Sunday deal. It was intended to be a relationship with God so that we know the power of God. And Paul writes about this power. But to every power behind it lies a weakness. I'm not saying that God has a weakness. But what I am saying is that there is a weakness that keeps us from seeing his power. Behind every Superman, there's a kryptonite, right? And in our lives, there's a weakness that stands in the way of being able to see God's power. But it'll be in Ephesians 2, starting in verse 1. Like I said, this is a continuation. This is the same exact thought as the previous chapter of how Paul ended the previous chapter. And you can follow along in a hardbound Bible. You can follow along. We'll throw the verses up, up on the screen if you have a smartphone or a tablet. You have the, the, the Bible app. You can follow along there as well in the, in the event section. And if you don't have an easy-to-read translation of the Bible, we have, we have New Testaments out there you can take for free. You can take home. Just don't let it become a coaster. But this is the weakness that Paul says that stands in our way of seeing the power of God. Once you are dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger or God's wrath, just like everyone else. The weakness that stands in the way of seeing God's power is the sin that's in our life. And the sin that's in our life leads us to death. We're dead people. I see dead people. Sin leads us to death. Dead people aren't very powerful now, are they? I trust that all of us have seen a dead person. You're not not looking at them going, man, they look like they can beat me up. Dead people aren't very powerful, and the sin that is in our life leaves us dead. Another translation 
Uh, instead, of, instead of saying uh, disobedience in your many sins, it actually says trespasses and sins. Trespasses. Us walking all over God. Not that God is weak and pathetic, like, like we can really walk on Him like He's a weakling. But that He has laid a line down in the sand and that we walk over that line all over Him. Let me illustrate this. Those of you that are parents, you get this. You've laid down a line at some point in time in your life that's been walked on. Last night in our van, we were, we were out, Sonic, getting some ice cream. Noah sits right behind Nicole, and, and, and he was kicking her seat, putting his feet up on her seat. Stop, Noah. Did it again. Noah, stop. And he did it again. It's called trespassing. (laughs) Walking all over Nicole. Now, I'm not saying that she's weak and pathetic. That's not what I'm saying. But he has decided to walk all over the line that, that she drew. And we, every one of us, do the same thing with God. We walk all over the line that he draws and we trespass on him. But sin, many of you, if you grew up in church, you, you know the, the background of the word of sin. It's missed the mark. It's an archery term. It's a target practice term. And we've missed the mark, the mark that God set. But something that, as I, as I was studying this, something that, 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 that went off in my mind with this term is that this week, as I said, I never thought about this before, but, but, but as, as, as I was thinking about it, missing the mark in target practice, you don't do target practice to miss the mark. You do as good as you can to try and make the mark in target practice. Either archery or shooting a gun, you know, anything. You're trying to hit that target. You don't shoot the gun and go, yes, I missed it, I meant to. I think this, 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 this concept is, is really, it translates to this in the Bible as well, that no matter how good we try to hit the mark, we miss it with God. We cannot make the mark. And so as we look at these first few verses in, in Ephesians 2, and, 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 and some of you may be like, wow, those were some downer stuff. This is where trespasses of, of walking all over God and just simply missing the mark, no matter how good we try to make it, that, that this is where it leaves us. And until we realize how bad things are, we will not need a Savior. And really, The longer we're in church, and if we grew up in church, we have a hard time with this section of Scripture because we think that we're good. We think that we're good. I go to church. I've been a good kid. I've been a good person. We think that we're good. And we're not left needing a Savior because we think that we're good on our own. And that, and that the way Paul describes this, oh, that doesn't, 
It's not talking about me. It's not talking about me. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil. Obeying the devil. Wow, that's a little bit over the top, don't you think, Paul? Obeying the devil? I grew up in church. I've been in church a lot. I've been good. He's the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He's the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Refuse to obey God? Really, Paul? A little harsh? All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our spiritual nature. By our very nature, we're subject to God's anger, God's wrath. Paul, is it... Isn't that a little Old Testament? I mean, come on now. Really? But until we realize that that was us or that is us, we are not, we are not in need of a Savior. We think we can do just fine on our own. We can provide life for ourselves on our own. And I struggle with the same thing of thinking, man, I've been good and brought up in church. But then I remember the times in my life where it was evident that I was obeying Satan, not God. And I think that in a moment of true honesty that all of us would say, oh, yeah, 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 I can point to a time where it was uh, obvious that God was not leading me. And that for every one of us, we are all underneath the same deal. See, Paul included himself, right? All of us. All of us. This isn't about you guys being filthy, nasty sinners. I'm all good. We're all in the same boat. We're all filthy, nasty sinners. I'm just the one that gets to talk to you all about my filthy, nasty stuff. You get to keep it in hiding. Count your blessings, right? But this leaves us a little wanting. I mean, it's a serious weakness. And any sin gets in the way of God working in power in our life. Serious weakness. It's a problem. But God. But God. After this weakness, after this low point, this is a huge but. This is a gigantic but. A humongous but. This proves one thing, and one thing only, that Paul likes big butts, and he cannot lie. You other brothers cannot deny that when Satan comes in with anybody lies, all up in your face you get sprung, and being sprung is what we need. Right? It's what we need. We have to be sprung 
from this death in order to have life. (laughs) We have to have a Savior. In order to get out of the death that we are in. And see, this identity thing, this identity thing actually proves that we understand that we're underneath God's wrath, even if we know how to verbalize it or not. Because what do we do? We chase after other identities in order to give us life. We chase after other identities in order to give us life. And so we understand that there's something inside of us that that understands that, that we have a problem. And so we chase after these other identities when God is saying here, I have the identity you were supposed to have in the beginning. And he releases us from this death in order for us to find the identity and the life that he intended. But God, who is so rich in mercy, so rich in mercy. Mercy is the compassion of God that He sees that we're underneath His wrath. And He goes, you were never meant to be there. My wrath was for Satan. My wrath was for the, for the angels that followed Satan. That was what my wrath was for. And then you decided to get underneath Satan and, and obey him. And, and now you're underneath my wrath. It was never intended for you. And I am so sorry that you are there. That's His mercy. That's his mercy, and this is, he is so rich in mercy. He has ample mercy. He has mercy that is never ending. He has mercy that we can never find the end of. No matter how far along the road we are, he has mercy for us. No matter how far we've gone. He has mercy for us. And He loved us so much. He saw us underneath His wrath wrath and and He had love for us. He didn't say, well, serves you right, pal. He has love for us. When we are underneath His wrath, He still has love for us. That even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. He saw us underneath His wrath. And He gave us grace. And what is grace? It is somebody who has abundance giving to somebody in need. He has abundant life. And He saw that we were in death underneath His wrath. And so what did He do? He sent Christ to give us life through His death. And here Paul describes the power of God as saying that when, when Christ rose from the grave, it transferred to us as life. Now if one of you keels over right here, 
and one of our nurses gives CPR and resuscitates you, none of the rest of us receive new life. Right? We don't get, we don't get a one-up just because somebody else is resuscitated. Power up. It doesn't work like that. But when Christ was resurrected to new life, it transfers to any of us who are in Christ. Those of you that may be non-fans that struggle with church and struggle with the God thing and the Jesus thing, this is what is available to every one of us. We have to understand the reality of where we are in order to need a Savior. We have to understand that we need resuscitation in order to receive it. But God looks at you in mercy and love and grace and gives you life because we are underneath His wrath. That's why He gave us life and the opportunity for life. But that's not all. It gets better. It's not just a transfer of life. For He raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. Remember God's power is the same power that rose Jesus from the dead and ascended Him to heaven? How does God want to use His power in every one of our our lives to raise us from the dead? To raise us from the dead? See, this is why. See, the New Testament guys, the guys that went around preaching and teaching and, and, and planting churches and stuff, they didn't focus on theology 101. They didn't focus on what people needed to know in order to be saved. You know what they focused on? The resurrection of Christ. Everything pointed to the resurrection of Christ. Why? Because it is in His resurrection that He resurrects us. That is the power of God that He resurrects us. When people get saved, it's not about a feeling, but at the same time, I like to ask, how do you feel? Because, because, Because people go, great! Like a weight's been lifted. Or, and you've heard the stories. And what is that? That is Christ raising you. That is Christ raising me. And Christ wants to continue to let us know that he, His power is working to keep us alive, raised from the dead. And you know what? Did you catch this? Did you catch it? Did you catch the second part? Did you catch the second part? You see it? Seated us with him in the what? Heavenly realm. Seated. Past, present, or future? Past. When we tell people, hey man, just pray this prayer and one day you'll get to heaven. 
not completely right. Right? According to Scripture, seated us. When we are faithful followers and we are made saints by God, He seats us at that moment in heaven with Him. This should be like, holy cow. You mean to tell me I'm in heaven right now? I don't mean to tell you that. God does. This is what is available to everybody who's a faithful follower. You're like, oh, maybe, maybe after a few years. After a few years, just to prove that... I... No, that's not great. Grace is that God does this the instant we decide to become faithful followers. He seats us with Him in <clears throat> heaven. The closest illustration that I can give is dual citizenship. And we see people that have dual citizenship here in Mexico, here in Canada, here in France, you know, whatever. Dual citizenship. They can only be physically present at one, but they have dual citizenship in both. That's the closest illustration that I can come to this amazing, amazing reality of God's power at work in us. And you know what? I don't really want to focus in a lot in this series about actions. I want God's grace to simply overpower us. But I want to focus simply on actions just for a moment. I think we can see where we're going here. That, you know what, when, when, when right now as we're all thinking about how, you know, by faith uh, and by God's grace we are sitting in heaven, that leaves the desire to sin in the dust, Right? If we think about the fact that we are sitting up in heaven with God, we really don't want to mess around. Like, God, I'm just going to, you know, go off in the corner of heaven here and, you know, we'll do our thing and come back. Like, it doesn't make any sense. God, t- turn your head. I'm going I'm to look at this porn. It doesn't really make any sense. God, close your ears. I'm going to gossip up here in heaven. It doesn't really make any sense. God, turn your head while while I just absolutely, completely just degrade this person. It doesn't make any sense. But while we sit in heaven, the desire to sin just disappears. And for all of us here in this same moment, you know, while we're thinking about it, we're like, yeah, absolutely. And that's the reality of being, you know, in two places at once, that we still have the pressures of this world coming upon us, and that's why we need God's grace continually, not just in, a, just in one moment. But also what this makes death, death is, death, death, like the physical death, is, is now nothing to be feared. It is simply a change of perspective. Our perspective changes to the place, just simply to another place that we have citizenship in. Our perspective just simply changes. And that's why Paul can say things like, you know what, whether I live or whether I die, doesn't matter to me. 
Why? Because death is merely a change of perspective. So why on earth would God do this? Why on earth would he give us his power this way? How does this look like practically fleshed out? So God, so a word of purpose. So that, so God, can point to us in all future ages as example Examples of the incredible wealth of His grace and kindness towards us as shown in all He has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. Why has He done this? Because He wants to make us a trophy of His kindness and His grace. And go, hey, look at that one. Look at that one. Look at that. Look at them. Look at him. Look at her. They are a trophy of my grace. They are a trophy of my kindness. Look at them. Look at what I have done in their life and the power that I I have given them and, and the power that I continually give them. Look at them. They are a trophy of my grace. They are a trophy of my kindness. We get trophies in order to show off what we can do, right? That's why we get trophies. Mine is this new stuff where everybody gets a trophy. That's to that's show off our stupidity. But, 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 but the true trophy that we actually win is to show off what we can do. And we, being a trophy of God's grace and His kindness, is to show off what God can do in our life. And did you notice that it's not just for right now, it's for the future ages. Our story will live on of what God can do in our life. And so it's not a matter of, you know, this theological knowledge, but it's not bad. But if it stops there, we don't get it. We don't get God's power if it just stops there. God wants to use this as a trophy of God's grace and His kindness. So when we go to school and we're with our classmates, you are a trophy of God's grace and kindness and power. When we are in our workplace, We are a trophy of God's kindness and power and grace. When we are in our neighborhoods, we are a trophy of God's kindness and power and grace. You're like, man, I'm a dirty trophy. No, you're not. Because it's not about you. See, these subtle little thinkings of, of humility are really an attempt to steal back the salvation of God and put it into our hands. The salvation of God is God alone. God's alone. And He cleans us up and makes us a trophy of His grace, whether we feel it or not. And so we either celebrate it or we walk in false humility and hide the greatness of His grace and power and His mercy. Not only that, and you can't take credit. God has saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. He wants to make us completely and utterly dependent upon Him for our salvation. Completely and utterly dependent upon Him. How many of you can give yourself life? 
How many of you can raise yourself from the dead? And maybe if you can think you can do that, how many of you can ascend yourself to heaven? Come on now. Come on now. I don't see anybody levitating here. Come on, come on, come on, come on. on. None of us can get ourselves to heaven, right? None of us can ascend ourselves to heaven. None of us can do that. It's absurdity. God wants, us to, wants to make us completely and utterly dependent upon Him for our salvation in our daily need for grace because we understand that we are in a battle that every day we are going to be tempted to live like this is the only place we are living. He wants to make us completely dependent upon Him. Now that word believe, that's not a mental assent to, 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 to anything. The word believe is completely align yourself with. But we're aligning ourselves with God's idea, not our own. And that's why it is grace. But he and He alone can save. But, also, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. If I had a painting here, I had it covered up. It's a painting that somebody had already painted and, and, and it's done. But I had it covered up. I, hadn't, I, I, I haven't unveiled it yet. and I, I had a tablecloth or something over it. That's what our lives are like. God has already created this masterpiece. He's already created this painting that is our life. And simply, it is just simply just not quite completely revealed yet. That He continually just pushes back a little bit of the tablecloth. He pulls it back a little bit to reveal the painting a little by little by little by little. So that we can see the painting that He has already painted. But what is our tendency? What is our temptation here? That we start seeing a little bit of it and we don't get it. We don't understand it. So we're like, no, 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 hold on God. Hold on God. I got it. I got it. I don't, don't know what you're doing here. So we then start trying to play Bob Ross, right? Like, it's a little mistake, but happy trees. We'll start painting. God's like... <laughs> Stop painting. I've already painted it. Just wait. I'll start unveiling it. I'll keep unveiling it. Just, just wait. So he rubs that off that we've painted. He unveils a little bit more. And, and we're like, whoa, 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 I don't... I... No, I think it should be this way. God's like, would you stop that? We've been through this already, okay? And he cleans that off. God has made every one of us a masterpiece. That we simply, if we just trust Him with that masterpiece, we will find the power of Him. Now there's going to be ups and there's going to be downs, there's going to be mountaintops, there's going to be valleys. And the valleys are just as part of the masterpiece as the mountaintops are. But it's in the valleys that we see God's power, right? We don't need God's power as much in the mountaintops. 
So we all go through these things. And what God is doing is He's unveiling the masterpiece that He's already unveiled or already painted. And we simply walk in that. That's what our jobs are intended to be. They're just intended to be a way to get paid by living out our masterpiece that God has already created. It is by faith that we simply walk in this masterpiece. There's a difference between spiritual exhaustion and physical exhaustion. Physical exhaustion, Jesus had. And nobody can claim that Jesus didn't live out the masterpiece that was painted for him. Jesus was physically exhausted at times. And when we live, live out our masterpiece, there will be times where we, we will be physically exhausted. But when we paint on our own masterpiece, that gets spiritually and soulfully exhausting. The coin term is burnt out. We were never intended to burn out. And so if you are soulfully exhausted, let's talk. Let's figure out how we can simply rest in the masterpiece that God already painted for us. God wants to work in power in every one of our lives. And God wants to use us in power to do these same exact things for other people. And that's what, how we see God's power at work in our lives. So for some of us, maybe it's about that we need to change. Like, you know that what? That first part, Paul talks in past tense, but that's not past tense for me. That's right now. I'm trying to find my identity in all kinds of different things. And I simply need the identity of Christ. So ask Him for it. God, I believe that You're the identity I need. Can You give it to me? For those of us that that question is settled, think about the masterpiece. Think about the masterpiece. Are you drawing on your masterpiece? Be letting our, it'd be like letting our kids add a rim rat with crayons. Are you impatient and you want God to unveil it quicker? Hold your horses. Live in the masterpiece that God has unveiled for you at this point in time. You in a valley? Trust that it's a part of the masterpiece. You on the mountaintop? Trust it is a part of the masterpiece. Simply live in the masterpiece as he's unveiled it at this point in time. Because as we walk, he'll keep unveiling. And I have a time of reflection and song. As God is working in your life, simply respond to that.
in prayer or praise as you sing. And if you need somebody to talk to, somebody to pray with you, I'll, I'll be here. Shelly's here. She's around. There she is. Or grab somebody else that you trust. Pray with them. Later on in this song, we'll, we'll, we'll take our offering. And so those of you that, that want to give, um, and be prepared by later in the song, we'll, we'll, we'll do that. But we'll stay seated because of that. But I want you to consider how God's speaking to you. What He wants to do in your life right now. And simply pray that He'll give you the faith to respond.